Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, happy Friday. This week, we're breaking down a very important episode. Season one, episode 12. This week, we're breaking down Milk Run. This is a super important episode for me. It's actually the first episode I can remember watching on Spike TV during 2004 reruns in the daytime. And because I remembered I recognized Harry Goldblatt from Sex and the City, young Evan Handler. So I remember I was like, wait, what? He had hair? Look at him, so baby-faced. And I just remember the last couple minutes of the episode were just so different from what I had seen to see a grown man, a man as cool as Don Johnson, just be as exasperated emotionally and heartbroken. And to see that on television, a man crying in the 80s, I love that. So this week, let's break it down. So we open up Milk Run with, naturally, at an airport. So the definition of a Milk Run um, just kind of means a short, routine, or uneventful flight, basically kind of referring to the, the routes that Milkman had. It's also a wartime thing, so 100% I'm not quite sure on that. Please feel free to correct me, but this is what I found from Merriam-Webster. Short, routine, or uneventful flight. However, it is uh, not that at all. So as we open up at the Miami International Airport, Crockett is doing a little bit of surveillance. He's sitting in the airport, reading a newspaper, kind of looking unassuming as Legs by ZZ Top is playing, when a beautiful girl drops something, bends down to pick it up, and there's a super iconic shot of her smiling as he, um, smiling through her legs. So basically she's kind of like bent over in half, kind of like doubled, like waving to Crockett, checking him out. He's smiling, waving back to her. Then we see two young gentlemen at the airport. For those of you who have not flown before 9-11, they are paying cash at the gate for a flight to Bogota, Colombia. (laughs) I am surprised the gate agent and the guys weren't smoking and possibly drinking liquor at the same time because the thought of just going up and paying cash for a ticket, I know that, you know, gate agents are there to help you and but I've never even thought of buying a ticket at the gate agent since, you know, 2004. Just not ever something that I even, I don't even know if they can do that. I don't think they have change. I just wonder, you know, actually I should try that. I should just go up to a gate and see if I could just buy a ticket somewhere. Why not? Let's try it out. But I think they'd just be so taken aback. But yes, it was a whole different world. The fact that you could go up to a gate where a plane was arriving and meet your friends or your family as they exited the plane. Just imagine that. Just walking in, maybe going through security, maybe not. Just walking right in and waving somebody off or welcoming somebody back in as opposed to like waiting outside, like in like the terminal or yeah, I just, different world, different world. Smoking on airplane, big seats, lobster, warm towels, free drinks, free food. Yeah, like I've flown on flights where I didn't have to pay for my meal and where I put in that I was vegetarian and I had a hot vegetarian meal waiting for me. My dad and I, when I was around 10, got upgraded on Lufthansa. Oh my God, it was only a two hour flight, but like pre 9-11, that is the pinnacle of flying right there. I was treated like a queen, treated like a little queen. Sorry, not to reminisce on days of yore, as I now fly Spirit (laughs) to Cleveland, Ohio. (laughs) Remembering the good old days of flying in Europe on, 
Oh, business class Lufthansa. All right, so let's get back to it. So basically, the gate agent sells them this ticket, round trip ticket to Bogota, Colombia, and waves Crockett over. Crockett gets the info. Get Eddie Rivers. Where is he going? Bogota. In 34 minutes. Do you have a reservation? Uh-uh. Thanks, Denise. Fits the profile. Let's go to work, partner. Yeah, so I think that is what would happen if I were to go to the gate and try to buy a ticket with cash, is that I would just be put on some list. <laughs> Even if it's like, oh, I just want to go to Miami or Toronto, I think I would just 100% be put on a list that I did not buy my ticket on Expedia or from the website itself in advance. It's like, ma'am, you haven't even paid for your seat yet. Oh, my God. Wow. So back in the day, you didn't have to pay for your seat. You don't have to pay to choose your seat. I know, kids. If you were born in, like, 1998, I'm sorry, where there was a glorious, like, 20 years there. I would like to speak to somebody who flew on the Concorde. That would be super cool. That is, and there is an episode about the Concorde, so we'll get to all that on season three. It's the pivotal plot point, but yeah, it's a whole different world back in the day. Sorry, I just need to focus on this episode. So, Crockett and Tubbs go to talk to the young gentleman. So, only one of them is flying to Columbia and back, Eddie. The other one, Evan Handler, so young and baby faced. Um, so they're basically kind of talking about how this is just going to be easy trip. Uh, and again, so their flight is in 34 minutes and they just go to the food court and chill. Like, <laughs> I just love how relaxed they are. Like, yeah, we're just flying internationally. I'm just going to, let's go, let's go sit down, have a, have a meal. We'll get to our flight four minutes before. So while they're sitting down, enjoying their meal before their flight in 34 minutes, Crockett and Tubbs decide to crash the party and uh, give them a little, a little scare about what they're going to get into. That is provided that you don't come back in the cargo section. Although that's a reasonable possibility, seeing that 95% of all these deals are rip-offs. <laughs> Tubbs, you don't think that these obviously experienced professionals here are going to fall for a rip-off? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I mean, how hard can it be to fight your way out of a foreign country? Huh? <laughs> And then Crockett starts spinning these tales of people torturing you and putting ants to eat out your eyeballs and sewing your fingers in your mouth. However, these kids are not having it. Evan Handler flips over the table, runs out of there, and they start this wild chase in the airport. In reality, it was not filmed at Miami International Airport. It was actually filmed at the Miami Free Zone, which is kind of like the trade zone. So that's why it kind of looks industrial, has enough space, has the escalators, but it's not the airport. So again, as they're running through the airport, evading Crockett and Tubbs, whizzing by security, and security just kind of like, hey, like, so not, I think I put a gif in there on the galleryadviceandeasypodcast.com. We're just kind of like shrugging and like, Tubbs pulls out his badge. He's like, oh, no, I'm a cop. I'm a cop. It just keeps running. Whereas, like, today you would be tackled and tortured and <laughs> you'd have, like, five different air marshals, ten members of TSA just beat your ass. So it is – this is kind of like a little love letter to flying in the olden days. So these kids are actually able to evade Crockett and Tubbs. They're able to escape the airport uh, when Crockett <laughs> – Crockett runs and he just hits – um. Like the, um, what's that called? The cart full of luggage and just like flies through. It's very calm, very comedic, a little bit of comedic relief. So the kids are able to get away and then cut to the intro. Then we open on a hot dog. So I'm really enjoying the 
focus on street dogs these past two episodes and it makes me want to live back on the East Coast where I could have a street dog available with someone that has a license to sell meat <laughs> and food products. I don't trust the LA dogs. I absolutely not. Even And they don't offer any vegetarian. It's just only meat and they're cooked on carts. I'm like, sorry, at least at least my guys in Toronto, you know, had a license. So there, people would, health inspectors would pop by. Don't trust it. So while Crockett is getting this hot dog, this, I don't know if I can say this without being, oh no, I think douche is fine. This douche pulls up in a white Corvette and is a public defender? Hmm, very questionable. Public defenders notoriously do not make much money, let alone money that could lead to a fancy sports car, such as a white Corvette. So this guy, it's actually the janitor from The Breakfast Club, and he's Canadian, which I found out. John Coplos. But aside from that, he plays this douchebag lawyer very well. We've all met a lawyer or two like this in our lives. This is the reason why they have the stereotype they do. And so while he's kind of egging Crockett on, Crockett pulls no punches and tells him straight up why he was able to get his past client off. And it very much fits in line with this douchebag lawyer. Just because your client paid for his witnesses and his counsel by the ounce, you're lucky I don't have time to sue you for slander. You're lucky I don't have time to bust you. Oh, <laughs> what an eye roll. Number one, the the burden of proof to prove slander successfully in court is incredibly high. <laughs> like, relax. And so then Tubbs comes and uh, this guy's attitude doesn't get any better. But next month at this time, I'll be in private practice. You guys will have to put up a month's pay just to make an appointment with me. So we're only 12 episodes into the first season out of five. Keep that in mind. And like this was back in the 80s. So TV series usually ran 22 to 24 episodes. And this is the third time that someone has made fun of their pay. Called her own twice and now Sloan. Like, jeez. <laughs> I get it. This is part of the theme. You know, you do a lot of work. If you're a good cop, you're not getting paid anything. You're not getting advanced. Hence why there's a lot of corruption. So they didn't really sugarcoat things in the 80s either. So so as they leave Sloan, or Sloan drives off in his Corvette, Tubbs gives Croc a little bit more background info. Basically, they did a background check on Eddie and Lewis. Lewis is Evan Handler. Sorry, I forgot his name when I was doing the first scene. And that they have no priors, but that Lewis has applied for a Florida driver's license. Um, actually, they're super easy. I got one and I had no residency in Florida. I didn't have to prove anything. I just said where my friend's dad lived and I got one. I was a U.S. citizen, so I don't even remember giving them my social. Like, it's super easy. Go to Florida right now and get a driver's license. That's my, uh, that's my tip of the week. And so they also find out that they are scheduled to be on stakeout tonight. Crockett's another hot dog. This is actually a really funny bit because... So in real life, Philip Michael Thomas was a vegetarian at the time of filming. I don't know if he still is. I hope so. Um, so there is kind of this joke that they crack where Crockett's like, oh, you want one? And Tubbs is like, oh, I'm a vegetarian. And <laughs> um, he basically like makes this joke like, how could you work all night with all that mystery meat in your stomach? And then Crockett's like, all right, give me two. Just, <laughs> just love that. It was just a very funny line. I do not know. I don't have a clip of it. I do apologize. So basically, they're at this possible meth lab, which is this big house on the same street as a big apartment complex. So there's lots of kids out. There's lots of families out. And Crockett is still 
really irked by Sloan and what he said and how Sloan was able to get under his skin. Guys like that. You know, he really is headed for the good life. Forget about that weasel. You've done your good deed for the day, you know. And that good deed for the day was scaring those kids and probably sending them back to New York and hopefully, in his mind, ditching the plans to run to Bogota. Ed Tubbs jokes about where Crockett learned these far-fetched torture ideas that he was telling these kids about. Sewing your fingers inside of your mouth. (laughs) I read it in a comic book. And so while this is happening, Eddie and Lewis are outside the airport. Eddie's a little bit nervous. He doesn't want to make this run. Lewis is the one kind of, correct word, encouraging him to do this. And they have a dream. And they have a dream that's actually very similar to mine. They also, they want to get into the business. What kind of business, you ask? Going to get caught. Greedy people get caught. We're just going to get in and get out and open up the hippest club in the Apple. Mirrors everywhere, light shows, waitresses working for us. That was the dream, wasn't it? We were kids when we dreamed back. Kids don't know no better. Okay, I'm still 33, and I still have the dream of opening up my own bar, so... Oh, that was way harsh, Ty. However, despite Eddie's objections, Lewis convinces him to go. And while Lewis made that decision, in the end, Crockett and Tubbs are still doing their stakeout. They watch a car pull up to the house. Three guys walk in. And the camera kind of zooms on this one guy lighting a cigarette outside the house, walks into the house. Surprise, surprise. Boom. The entire house blows up. Honestly, what I was thinking as I'm seeing all these kids from the apartment complex run around is that no kids got hurt in this. So when they're surveilling the scene the next uh, scene, they're basically talking about that there's one survivor. He kind of muffled a name that sounds like Moya. And Zwitek is a little curious about these statues, but leave it to Tubbs to be the cultured, educated man to in- educate his friend. What is it with these statues, anyway? That's Chango, god of the Santa Rica. Religion popular in Colombia actually originated in Nigeria. It's a little culture swag tape. Hang around a little bit. Some of them might rub off. Yeah, well, whatever religious significance these statues have, they have a street value of about 25 grand. Pure coca-based sports fans. Big surprise, our next scene, we are in Colombia, where we see a guy packing cocaine into the statue, gluing it together, doing it all very carefully with gloves, while Eddie watches on. And so they're just like kind of making awkward small talk while he's waiting for him to fill up the statues. He's being very precise with his method, let's put it that way, his method, in that he's making sure fresh gloves are used, being very careful, making sure that... Basically, he doesn't want the dogs to be able to smell anything. Once the dogs once the dogs get a scent, that's when everything goes south. So you want to com- remain as inconspicuous as possible when you're bringing it back in. And after that stilted small talk, we see Eddie put the giant statue in his bag. And with that, Crockett and Tubbs want to get a little bit more information on all this Santeria stuff. Their words, not mine. So basically, he busted this girl a couple months prior, Crockett, and 
he knew that she was into all this stuff. She's actually working right now at this um, independent cinema, and it has a neon sign that says Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I took a picture of, which I thought was very cool. So it's obviously one of those cinemas that would do that as a midnight screening. So kind of, you know, like a little art house cinema. And Crockett and Tubbs look great. The mesh shirt has returned. The mesh shirt Crockett's been wearing all the way back to the pilot. (laughs) I love it. They both look incredibly stylish. So Crockett goes to talk to his, the girl he busted, Angela, while Tubbs decides to talk to the guys in line. And as you can tell, they're both very much fish out of water in this scenario. (laughs) Crockett goes right up to the ticket booth, harasses her, tells her that She's going to talk. There's no question about it. He wants to know more information about the name Moya. She says that he runs a gym in South Beach. So he's got a little bit more information to work with while Tubbs is not having the greatest time getting a little bit roughed up by by the bikers who really aren't interested in making small talk with him. So I took a really good gif of Crockett speeding around in the Ferrari to pick him up and Tubbs just hopping into the passenger seat. So then we go check out this gym. Not only is Hit Me With Your Best Show by Pat Benatar playing. Great choice. There is a guy. I'm assuming he's a promoter. In a blue leisure suit waiting by the ropes. Right next to who I assume is a coach. And just the contrast and the juxtaposition of these two outfits next to each other is great. It is like a pale blue leisure suit. It is very apropos of the time. Definitely go check it out on uh, the gallery, viceandeasypodcast.com, because I thought it was hilarious. So Crockett finds Moya and he says he wants to sponsor Get a Fighter. I put Get a Fighter. I don't think that's the proper terminology. I think you sponsor, you train, you... I think you sponsor. So he says that he should talk to his brother, Diego. Crockett's like, oh, you know, like, where can we find him? He says he's going to be at the fight tonight. And he's like, no, you know, what about in the daytime? Basically kind of trying to see where he's at now. However, Tubbs recognizes Lewis as he sneaks at the back door and catches a cab. So they follow him to the Senator Hotel, which I want to give like a six out of 10 decor. Um, I actually really like the inside of the hotel, but I thought that the art deco on the outside could be a little bit improved. However, it no longer exists. It was torn down to make room for a parking lot, apparently, when I was doing my research. And so while they're in the Senator, about to go upstairs, about to find Lewis, guess who pulls up at the most inopportune time? Eddie. And Eddie's cab driver is not having it in this next clip. Hey, talk to hey. me, not my cab. Get out of here. Get the hey, hell out back of here. Up, back up. Officer, get around. <laughs> um, cab driver is 100% justified in his actions. I would do the exact same thing. Well, so now they arrest Eddie, bring him in, talking to Castillo at the precinct. Basically, in short, they know the Moyas are involved. The statues, Lewis leaving the gym, but they can't prove it. So their lead, their best lead, as Crockett says, is to let Eddie make the sale and kind of go from there. And Castillo asks a little bit more about Eddie. How old is he? Old enough to do 15 years. It's the best lead we got. And his only way out. All right. See if we'll cooperate. Hell, he's probably so scared right now, he'd roll over on his own grandmother. Oh. And so when Crockett and Tubbs go back to the interrogation room to try to work out a deal with a, where Eddie can make the deal and be able to go home back to New York, he mentions his lawyer's advice and that his lawyer doesn't think that Crockett and Tubbs have his best interests at heart. 
and did not cooperate. And guess who that lawyer is? Hey, come on. Couldn't have been that bad. Didn't I talk dirty to you? Give me a break. Break? Want a cop a plea? <laughs> hey, you're the making sex and misdemeanor. The more you miss it, the meaner you get. The woman who tells him to give her a break is the poor bartender who has to listen to this stuff. And also, I will say this to the bartender, if your friend is being creepy to the bartender, to the server, to anyone, say something. Also, you will all get kicked out and you will all get tossed out by security. So your best bet is to at least try to mitigate your friend's circumstances and let them know how creepy they're being. It's better coming from you than is from us because it just looks like we can't take a joke or we don't have a sense of humor as opposed to like we just don't like being sexually harassed on the job, which is totally fair. So karma, the best karma I can imagine as a bartender is watching this sleazeball get manhandled by crocodile tops. <laughs> I think I took a couple gifts of this of just like them just like tossing him down outside because they are mad and I like to think that they're mad for him harassing the bartender they're also mad at him for giving Eddie horrible advice that could really put him in danger that only serves Sloan in the long run in this next clip get off it Sloan that kid is so green he practically handed us the evidence well that's for the judge to decide it is not enough time the deal for the statues is going down right now there's always time. And if one judge doesn't like it, there's always time for an appeal. Yeah, while well, that kid is sitting in a cell somewhere being passed around for a pack of smokes. I'm his attorney, not his guardian. Listen, you maggot. You want to settle our score, I'm available. Anytime. But not at the expense of this kid. I really like Crockett and Tubbs for what they're doing here. They're really looking out for this kid to the best of their abilities. And they see that a lawyer like Sloan can only be to this kid's detriment in the long run and doesn't even have his best interest at heart. He's just in it for the money. And again, I think he's only taking on this case because there are drugs involved. And since his last client who was facing drug charges was able to pay everybody off and gift him enough that he could buy a Corvette, I think this is exactly what his thinking process is. So now Sloan comes to the interrogation room, sits down, and doesn't even know Eddie's name. It gets real awkward. And Sloan finally gets a little bit of a conscience and leaves. And now the deal is about to go down. So Crockett and Tubbs, along with Switek, accompany Eddie to the hotel room at the Senator where Lewis is staying. And outside the room, Crockett's giving him a little bit of a pep talk. Again, Lewis doesn't know that this is going down. This is just Crockett, Tubbs, and Castillo, and Zwitek's there for support, who have made this deal with Eddie. You weren't gonna hurt Lewis. Eddie, we're not planning to hurt anyone. We just don't know who else might be in there. Just do what you're told. Eddie goes in, Zito and Switek storm in, make sure there's nobody else in the room. Lewis is naturally pissed. Then Crockett and Tubbs come in. Crockett and Tubbs kind of explain the game plan. Obviously, Lewis is not really having it. Lewis is kind of a little bit upset that he snitched. But at the end of the day, Eddie really didn't have a choice. He did this plan because of Lewis. Lewis kind of left him hanging. He didn't really have an option. So I don't really think Eddie owes Lewis that much loyalty in this case. I think Eddie is completely justified to do whatever he needs to do so that they can get back home. 
However, Crockett has a little bit of advice for these first-time middlemen? Sellers? Not sure what to call them. These people may want to chit-chat before doing business. Keep the conversation short. You'd like to talk, but you got other appointments. Okay, and last but not least, nobody leaves this room. I mean, nobody. If one of them says, I gotta use the bathroom, or I left something in the hall, he gives the cue right then and right there. You got that? My favorite part of that advice is Crockett telling them to not make chit-chat and say that they have other appointments as if these 19-year-old kids are these drug-dealing masterminds that are just have very busy packed schedules and other deals to make, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> Obviously, the people who are going in there know that these kids are green. This is the whole reason. And also the rain that you heard outside. So it's starting to rain outside. However, we see tons of cop cars, tons of SWAT. There are a ton of eyes on this deal when it goes down. So, knock on the door. The guys from the gym, the Moyas, I'm assuming it's all the Moyas, even though we only met one. The Moyas arrive to do the deal. Some elegant touches here that I took lots of pictures of. Briefcase full of cash. Just the <laughs> the statues being kept in the fridge. Which I don't, like, you know, you don't want to just have the goods sitting right in front of you, you know, without any protection or without any barrier, but I thought that was funny. And so as Eddie turns around to get the the statue from the fridge, we see a guy stand up, get his gun out, and is just shot ASAP. So I'm assuming they had a sniper or someone who was keeping an eye on everything inside. Crockett and Tubbs run in, Eddie and Lewis are okay. Eddie is freaking out, and he only wants one thing right now. You okay? I wanna go home! Please. Tonight, Please. tonight, Eddie. Tonight, you and Lewis, just like I promised. And I'm going to take a very quick break, and I'll be right back. So, unfortunately, just as was predicted, it was going to be a ripoff, and luckily Crockett and Tubbs were there to save the day. Wherever that sniper was, give that, give that man the credit, to be honest. So we're back at the precinct, but before we head back to the precinct, we kind of pan out of the senator, and we see the gentleman that Crockett was talking to at the gym watching in his car. And so now we're back at the precinct and Castillo tells Crockett and Tubbs that their assignment tonight is to make sure the kids get home safe. And we finally learn what he means, what the episode means by Milk Run. Look, I'm giving you the Milk Run because you did a good job and you need a break. Thanks. And so before they head off to do the Milk Run, Crockett is talking to Tubbs and saying that Moya, the gentleman he was talking to at the gym, who he doesn't know was waiting in the car in the rain outside of the senator, doesn't know what happened to his brother, so they don't have much time. That segues into Crockett going back to Angela at the boxing match to get more information from her. He's not happy. He tries to get her to talk. So in this back room, they don't have much time. They're going fast. Tubbs basically telling her what happened with the lab, what happened with Diego. Crockett wants to know if her old man is in on it. She's denying everything, denying that she knows anything. And guess who comes and tries to stab them? Of course, it is her old man. So Crockett and Tubbs pin him down on the table. Tubbs takes away his switchblade and he starts to talk a little bit where he won't actually um, tell them anything about Pepe Moya since Diego is dead, but he will tell them 
that he knows where the lab is. And if you recognize his face, you will also recognize him as Arno in Uncut Gems. There's a very pivotal moment in the movie where they're having a Seder. So someone compared Uncut Gems to a basketball game where it's very hectic, very high energy, and then the Seder is akin to the halftime, which I thought was actually quite clever. So he has a very big role in Uncut Gems. So highly recommend if you have not seen it. So unfortunately, they still don't have more information on Pepe Moya. So back at the precinct, Croc and Tubbs wanted to do a little bit more investigating. However, Castillo knows they've had a very rough, long day. And their new assignment is to take Eddie and Lewis back home. And then we finally hear the name of the episode as it's referenced by Castillo in this next clip. Look, I'm giving you the milk run because you did a good job and you need a break. Thanks. So they pull up to the airport in Tubbs' Coudeville, park right in front of the airport, hop out, don't pay for parking, don't have to fight for parking. You can tell not only is it flying pre-9-11, but it's definitely not a real airport because as anyone has known who's tried to drop or pick anyone up from an airport, it is such a high anxiety mess of just cars switching lanes in every direction, people honking at you, uh, parking attendants coming to yell at you, even if you're just off for one minute just with your four ways on. So you could tell this is definitely a relic of its time. And so in the airport, they're at like kind of the newspaper shop, like the Hudson News of its time, I guess. And <laughs> Lewis makes a really good point when Crockett is paid for, for their stuff. Wonder people deal drugs around here. Just a joke. And so after Lewis's joke about the high prices at airport falls flat, Eddie kind of wanders off to another part of the store close to a big window. And unfortunately, too late, they spot a man with a shotgun shoots Eddie through the glass. Eddie's body falls into the glass drawer. He's dead on impact. Tubbs runs off chasing him. No airport security to be seen whatsoever. Unfortunately, Eddie didn't make it. As they're covering up Eddie's body and wheel him out, Crockett is sitting on the floor, covered in blood in his white suit, despondent, tears in his eyes, really upset, really heartbroken. And Lewis is just standing there, flabbergasted what just happened to his friend. And Crockett gives him some advice so if he doesn't end up like Eddie. Final boarding call from flight 302, non-stop. Go get on the plane. All passengers holding tickets on flight 302, please report to 87 immediately. Go on, go home. think this is a joke? Look at your friend. Get on the damn plane. And the way this episode ends is really poignant. And it was really poignant for me when I discovered the show at 15, 14 years old. Crockett's sitting on the floor. Lewis leaves. Tubbs comes over. And Crockett just says, oh, yeah, get the car. And Tubbs can tell that Crockett isn't going anywhere. So Tubbs just sits on the floor with Crockett. And it's about a minute of Crockett, tears in his eyes, and Tubbs right next to him. And to me, that just really showed the deep friendship that they have. And I think it's a really beautiful moment. And again, for 1984, I guess maybe 1985 at this time, to show an actor such as Don Johnson crying 
on primetime television. A very alpha male just really hit me. And I think it's great acting. Maybe my bet my favorite Crockett scene so far in this entire well, one on twelve episodes, but my favorite Crockett scene so far. And I just think it's very well done, well written, well acted, chef's kiss all around. I want to give Milk Run a 10 out of 10. Now, I don't have any scandalous vice tea this week, but I will give you a little background on some of your favorite guest stars from this episode. So obviously my favorite, Evan Handler. So when I was watching this at 14 years old, I recognized him from Sex and the City. He's Harry Goldblatt, um, Goldenblatt, sorry. Charlotte's divorce attorney turned loving, doting, caring husband. And he was also Charlie on Californication, which is a very different role, but you know, same sweet, lovable, affable guy. Uh, so the reason you see him now with this kind of like big fro is because he actually had leukemia in his 20s and beat it. So good for him. And I think he looks great bald as well, but it is nice to see him all baby face with this little fro. And if there is anything bad about him, I don't want to hear it. Now, Eddie, who was played by Al Shannon, this was actually his first role. And I actually really give him credit. This is a very tough role and is very well played and well acted. So kudos to Al Shannon. He doesn't really have a Wiki page. I try to look him up. His credits ended in 1998. And then he appeared on one short in 2010. So it seems like he's retired from acting. So thank you, Al Shannon. Thank you for your work on Milk Run. Oh, almost forgot. This is a last minute edit. So Al Shannon's IMDb page, I was kind of going through it. And then I saw that he was in No Man's Land. And it was actually funny. Another Instagram account, Miami Vice Life, just posted about this. No Man's Land is a great, great, great movie written by Dick Wolf, starring Charlie Sheen and D.B. Sweeney about uh, a ring that steals, a a crime theft ring, sorry, an organized crime theft ring that steals Porsches in Los Angeles. Great movie. Randy Quaid's in it. Really cool. Obviously beautifully shot. You can't go wrong with Porsches in LA. So highly check it out if you're able to stream it or go to your local video store and rent it. 10 on 10. And Angela's old man is Eric Bogosian. And like I mentioned earlier, he was in Uncut Gems. And the lawyer, Sloan, you'll also recognize him as the janitor from The Breakfast Club. I learned he was actually Canadian. And he was only 28 at the time of filming. And I understand that everybody just aged quicker in the 80s because he, to me, seemed like he would be like mid-30s. I think also because lawyers don't usually become douchebags that early on unless they're raised by douchebag lawyers. So, you know, usually you kind of have a couple years of, you know, conscience to kind of guide you through. But because this guy was so far gone, I just instantly assumed that he was 35. All right. Now let's get down to some... Obviously, without a doubt, my best dress this episode is going to go to the boxing promoter (laughs) in the blue leisure suit at the gym. My second is going to be Crockett at the theater with his sunglasses. They look to be tortoiseshell. And I didn't know that Crockett wore tortoiseshell glasses, but they look to be like a dark tortoiseshell with the mesh shirt and the white suit. And there's a great picture of Crockett and Tubbs sitting on the Ferrari, kind of scoping it out, which I've obviously included in the gallery and I'm definitely going to post on Instagram. So those are my best dressed. Um, I really kind of liked that they showed a little bit of the fashion of like the counterculture, like punk kids waiting at this theater. I like that too. Just something a little bit different. And music, there's only two top 40 songs on this episode. So obviously we open with Legs by ZZ Top as we're at the airport. And then the boxing gym, we have Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar, which that was a fun, I think that's like a fun kind of um, 
clever use of the song. So I think that's going to be my, my pick for my favorite song. And now let's get in to the Faye Five. So Faye Five, obviously the promoters in there cannot cannot escape him. Just love that outfit so much. My other one was the view. It's this shot of in between the girl's legs while she's upside down looking at Crockett. Just a great shot. Um, as I keep mentioning in this episode, which I swear I will, it's very hard for me when I watch stuff from the 80s. And I just see, you know, the way that flying used to be. Paying cash for a last minute ticket at the gates <laughs> to Boca da Colombia in Miami and not expecting to raise any flags. <laughs> and then just walking up to your gate, maybe taking five minutes through security. Hey, why don't you just have your friend or family just meet you at the gate? You could pick people up at the gate and you could actually go to the gate, sit with them and watch them fly. That's why that whole trope of chasing someone to the airport before they catch their flight. There's no way that could happen now. Also, there's no way you could just have a chase through an airport with being tackled by a million people. So I thought that was very funny. My other fave five is Tubbs jumping in to the Ferrari. I took a great gift of that. I put that as well on the gallery. The great vibe of the Miami International Airport, that nice aerial shot. Loved it. Lots of style there. And that runs out the Faye Five. I want to thank you guys again for listening, for subscribing, for interacting. I do apologize in advance. This month I might be, hopefully not, I'm trying my best to regularly post. I might be a little late for the next week's episode. I have a big bartending competition coming up that preliminaries are due May 16th. So I am in full training mode. I am Rocky in Russia with a log over my back. So I do apologize and I do apologize for the quality of my voice. Usually I, you know, I pride myself on my voice and obviously recovering from COVID and all that. I'm not 100% there, so I do apologize in advance. But again, thank you for liking, subscribing. If you are looking to find more Miami Vice on social media, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Vice and Easy Podcast. And you can see all the fun stuff in the gallery at um, viceandeasypodcast.com in the episode subscription. You can also find me on YouTube. Thank you again for listening. Thank you again for subscribing. Thank you again for supporting me. And thank you again for loving Miami Vice. Hey, man. Miami Vice is number one new show.